1: Hi, everybody. Ron Geyer, and Time Insights. Thank you so much for your patronage. Listening to the radio station, you make my day. I don't get numbers telling me how many people are listening, but I trust there are, and I thank the Lord that we are here by His gracious will. We're talking about the church at Laodicea. We're teaching from the book of Revelation. We've gone through the seven churches. Let's see if I can remember them in order. We started with Ephesus. We went to um, Smyrna. Number three is Pergamos, number four, Thyatira, number five, Sardis, six, Philadelphia, number seven, the church at Laodicea. I did that good. Hallelujah. So Laodicea, the seventh church, it's constantly called the lukewarm church, the one that the Lord Jesus Christ said he would spew them out of his mouth. They made him sick because they were lukewarm. We neither cold nor were they hot. And so Jesus is talking to them. This is found in Revelation chapter three, verses 14 through 22. And I need to pick up at verse 17. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, ouch, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. That was Jesus' condemnation to the church. This was a church that was in trouble, serious trouble. And we started out with they thought they were rich, and we thought they were increased with goods. They said they were rich, and they said they were increased with goods. And because of that wealth, they thought that they had need of nothing. And yet Jesus says, whoa, whoa, you don't know that you have need of nothing. And he says it's a very emphatic way in that he's talking. There's a total lack of comprehension on the part of the saints here. You know not that you have need of nothing. And then Jesus says, thou art. He's going to tell them five things that they are. And this is a very direct speaking. This is a very confrontational type of word he's using. It's actually an accusation. You don't know that you are wretched. And we talked about this last week. Tyloporous, it's a callous condition, the most miserable. And the callous of everyone, you guys, you have been ignoring my rebukes and it's rubbed you and rubbed you and rubbed you. And now you are callous. Your hearts are callous. You formed calluses on your heart. You were numb to the sharp pain of the continued rebukes by Jesus. He says, you're not only wretched, but you're also miserable. Ilianos in the Greek, in need of pity. You ought to be pitied. Jesus told them they had needs, but they were quite poor, even though they thought they were rich. And he said, you need pity. You have needs that only I can take care of. Only I can fill you. You think you're rich and living in abundance. But the truth of the matter is, Jesus is telling these very rich people that they were actually living in abject poverty. The word for poor is tokus, the lowest category of poor people. Jesus saw them as destitute, as impoverished. And don't forget, this was a city that was a great banking and financial center. The Roman leaders came there. They did their banking in this city. It was wealthy, and they felt they were so wealthy there was no need of God. That was wrong. Not only are you wretched and miserable and poor, but you're also blind. The word is truflos, and it's more than one that just can't see. It's actually this person hasn't just lost his sight, but they no longer have eyes to see. That's a terrible condition. And once again, this city was famous for the eye salve that they made. People would come from different regions to uh, Laodicea because they had an eye salve that they made. It was region-wide. It was really famous. Uh, They had a name for it. It was called uh, Phrygia, and they made Phrygia powder out of it, and it was exported all over the world in tablet form. And Laodicea was so conscious of its medical skill in the care of the eyes It never realized the spiritual blindness that had overtaken them. And finally, Jesus says, you guys are naked. You've got this nice wool. You make this gorgeous wool, and that's exported also. It's a very elegant type of uh, violet, black, glossy wool. It's mass-produced for outer garments, and it was especially connected with a tunic that was called the trimita, so much so, indeed, that it was sometimes called trimeteria, the actual product. Laodicea was so proud of the garments it produced that it never realized it was actually naked in the sight of God. So this fivefold condemnation by Jesus: they were wretched, they were miserable, they were poor, they were blind, and they were they were naked. This fivefold condemnation in the midst of their great wealth, in the midst of the export of the fine clothing that they made, their affluent social standing. This self-indulgent culture, it had just contradicted the words Jesus said. They just contradicted everything that they thought about themselves. They now have a revelation of how Jesus sees them. There could be no greater slap in the face to the people at Laodicea than the one Jesus just gave them. The church, which dwelt in the richest of all the cities within the Roman Empire, had just been dressed down by Jesus. And it was now time to come to the realization that they were failing Jesus Christ miserably. John Walford, wonderful Bible commentary that writes like this. The Laodiceans were typical of the modern world, which revels in that in which the natural eye can see. But unfortunately, it is untouched by the gospel and does not see beyond the veil of the material to the unseen and real eternal spiritual riches, which are so desperately needed. Verse 18, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that you may be clothed that the shame of thy nakedness does not appear and anoint your eyes with eyesalve that you may see. So God's so good. Jesus, he's got the answer. He's got the solution. I've called you out. I've challenged you. I've told you where you're failing me. Now let's get the problem fixed. Here comes the good news. Jesus to the rescue again. Hallelujah. He's got a solution to their problems. I counsel thee by of me, by from me, This is great. I want you to change where you're doing your shopping. Change your shopping habits. Come to me. Quit dealing in the carnal markets of the world and come to me in the realm of the spirit. I've got the spiritual riches that you need. I've got the spiritual clothing. I've got eye for your blindness. I can take care of this. First things first, let's deal with these issues one thing at a time, Jesus says. You were wretched. Okay. Come to me for counsel and wisdom. Let me remove the calluses on your heart that have come from rejecting me over and over and over. And let me tenderize your heart. Let me make it sensitive to my word. Ezekiel thirty-six twenty-six. a new heart will I also give thee and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you a new heart of flesh. This is what Jesus is saying. Let me fix your heart. Let me remove the hardness of your heart. The starting point for their change was going to be to come back to Jesus Christ. He will fix their wretched state. He alone will remove the callous hearts. He alone will satisfy their desires. Next, he goes after their poverty. He says, buy of me gold tried in the fire. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire. Buy from me gold, which has been purified. It is clean. It is true. It belongs to Jesus. It's not the filthy lucre that you set your sights on, but he is willing to share to give them the true riches that only he has. Gold was the most valuable of all the commodities during this time, and the gold that you had to have that you thought that made you rich, it's false. It's counterfeit. I've got the real stuff. I am the real stuff, but you won't find it where you've been looking. The gold that I have, you can't buy, but it will truly make you rich, and I give it to you freely. Next, he deals with their nakedness. I alone have white raiment, clothing of the saints. We know that. I will clothe your naked spiritual state. You may look good on the outside, but you're naked on the inside. Laodiceans, they love the shiny black wool that made their city famous. But Jesus says you can wear that and every other garment. You will still be naked. Let me clothe you in attire that is fitting your position as children of God. White raiment represents the saints in several passages in the Bible. We know that. Finally, he offers them a solution for their blindness and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that you may see. Remember, they were famous in the city for their healing medicines, especially concerning uh, diseased eyes. The saints here, they understood that. That's why Jesus is talking to them. He's talking about clothing, he's talking about eye salve, he's talking about blindness, he's talking about nakedness, he's talking about gold, purity, being poor. He dealt with them in terms that they could understand, and they did. Jesus challenged and named everything that made the city great and became a source of pride in their lives. Jesus challenged that, and he proved it as counterfeit. But he then revealed to them that for every source of their pride, he alone held the real truth, the real wealth, the real clothing, the real healing. The saints here needed a makeover, and Jesus was prepared to give it to them. I love it. I love it. I love it. Verse 19, why? For as many as I love... I rebuke and I chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. And this is Jesus. I love it. And look at this. He says, What did love look like here? Love here looked like him telling the Laodiceans, Look, man, you're naked, you're miserable, you're wretched, you're blind, you're poor. He told them the truth. That did not edify him. That was not a feel good type of gospel message. He did not sugarcoat this at all. But he was speaking to the church and he told them the truth. And, you know, we talk about communication all the time. Two aspects of communication. Number one, your motive, saints, is always love. You speak because you love people. And number two, your message, it never changes. Your motive is always love and your message is always truth. That's it. It's a very simple gospel. Because you love people, you tell them the truth. You don't tell them half truth. You don't give them just a little bit. You don't sugarcoat it. You don't change it. You give them the truth in love that they may grow. So the phrase, as many as I love, is aimed at the saints in Laodicea who profess to follow Jesus, not those who aren't making any effort to follow him. He's making no effort to discipline those who are making no effort to obey him, but rather he is dealing with those who claim to be his children. And the word for love here, it's not agape, but it's phileo. Phileo is the friendship word, agape is the deep, intense, sacrificial love. He's not using that deep, intense, sacrificial love. He's letting him know, hey, guys. I know. I'm mad. I'm angry. You're sinning. You're in deep, deep trouble. I'm still your friend. We're still in love. It's okay. No longer does John use the word for self sacrificing love, but now it's the word for fondness or friendship. Here, Jesus reveals his love for the church. If I love you, and I do, I will rebuke and chasten you. Man, is that a word for the church today? We have got to get it right. I know. Gee, people talk about, I'm not going to talk about sin. We don't talk about sin in our church. Well, It's your church. It doesn't belong to the Lord Jesus Christ because you need to talk about sin. That is divine love. We need to be bolder. You know, I've got lots of black friends. They're great people. They're no different than anybody else, right? Just like Spanish people, Irish people, Democrats, Republicans. We're no different than anybody else. We're all people, children of God by creation. And we tell them the truth if we love them. But I just can't understand how we in our churches, we won't tell the Democrats the truth, the black people, the truth about what the Democrat Party has done to them. Well, that's not a place for the pulpit. You bet it is. If it's truth, it's a place for the pulpit. It deserves in the pulpit. It has its place in the pulpit of God. We need to start telling the people the truth about what's being done to them, about what's happening to them. It may be hard and they may offend some of them. So be it. That's what happens. You get persecuted when that happens. It got Jesus killed. It may get you killed, but you must be committed to telling people the truth. That's where the power of God operates. Here, Jesus reveals his love for the church. He says, "Uh, I love you and I do. I'm going to rebuke you. I'm going to chasten you. There is no place in the church of Jesus Christ for pastors and leaders who will not confront sin. It reveals to those people a false love. Well, it should reveal to them a false love, a counterfeit Christianity that places personal acceptance above true shepherding run far from them. On the other hand, rebuke and chastisement is the sure sign of God's love, Jesus' love for his church. The word for rebuke there is elekcho in the Greek, and it means to expose. It means to convict, to bring to light someone's actions, not for the sake of condemning, but for the purpose of bringing about a change in one's life in one's way of thinking. And that's where they've tricked us. The world has tricked us. They think you can't judge anybody. You can't tell the truth to anybody because you're condemning them. The world may do that, but not in the church. When we tell somebody the truth about their sin, it's not because we're condemning them. It's because we're correcting them that they may be restored to a right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's why we tell them the truth. They're hard. They may be offensive, but I don't care what the world labels something. The world doesn't tell me how to act. The world doesn't tell me what I can do, what I can't do. The world doesn't tell me to open the church, to close the church. The world does not have that authority. The church is a living pillar, the ground of truth. Hallelujah. I rebuke and I chasten. The word for chasten is padeo. I just mumbled through that. P-A-I-D-E-U-O. And it means to teach, to train with strict discipline, to assist one in reaching their full potential. You got to understand when we tell you the truth, when we call out your sin, it's not to condemn you, it's to correct you, but it's also to help you reach your full potential. You got to get that straight. The church needs to redefine some of this language that the world has put on us. We can't be cowardly. We can't be scared. We have got to tell people the truth. When we rebuke them, when we chasten them, them, when we are pointing out their sin, it's because we love them. We want their best. We want to correct them. We want to help them in reaching their God-given potential. That's it. That's the only reason. We don't have any other motives. Therefore, be zealous. The word there is zilu. It means to be hot, to heat, or to boil, to be heated, to have enthusiasm to have passion, to be moved with an eagerness for achievement. One thing I've noticed, and, and I don't know if it's in the Greek language or just the way Jesus wrote the book, but the words that he uses, they're normally, they're fiery words. They're words of passion, words of strength, they're words of commitment and emotion. Jesus just didn't really use everyday speech uh, when he was talking to the saints, when he was talking to his people. He used language that was dealing with his church that was going to fire them up. His love and sternness came out in no uncertain terms. Finally, wrap it all up, put a bow on it, and the process of you getting back with me is repenting. There's no place either in Christ church for a minister that will not call Christ church to repentance. It's why the hyper-grace message is so dangerous. I don't care who preaches it. If you remove repentance from the message of the gospel or if you misrepresent it in any way, you are false, your message is demonic, and you do not know Jesus. Once again, run far from them. Verse 20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. This is a key verse that has been misunderstood for centuries. We know Jesus is speaking because it's written in red. He is still speaking and the pastor and the church of the Laodiceans are who he is speaking to. You've seen the picture. You've got Jesus standing tall. You've got a big oak wooden door, and you see Jesus knocking on it. There's no handle on the outside because he can't open it from the outside. It can only be opened from the inside. And people say that, yeah, Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart. He's trying to save you. Well, that would be nice, but it's not true. If you read the scriptures, and we want to be scripturally accurate, Jesus is talking to the church. He's not talking to sinners. Here, he's talking to the church that the Laodiceans are in, and he's saying, will you please let me into your church? Please, remember at the beginning when he started, he didn't say to the church at Ephesus, he didn't say to the church at Philadelphia, to the church at Smyrna like he did. He said to the church of the Laodiceans, he called them by name. The purpose is the Laodiceans had taken control of the church. It was no longer the Holy Spirit of God that was in charge of the church. Verse 14, the language is different than in the other letters to the other churches. Here, the pastor is charged with getting an important message to the saints. He is to tell them that Jesus wants in this church. I want you to let me in. I stand at the door and knock. All the other letters are written to the pastor and to the church, but not here. Here, the letter is written to the Laodiceans, the church is in the hands of the sinful Laodiceans. They had taken control. They had shut Jesus out. They were not letting him in. And Jesus says, I want in. And he's knocking at the door. Jesus is standing on the outside of the door to his own church. He can't get in. The word for door in the Greek, it's ten It's not just any door, the door. It's a large, solid door. Knock. The word is kruo, K-R-O-U-O. And the tense of the language here, it means that someone has been constantly knocking. He's been pounding in a sense to implore one to open by an incessant pounding, knocking on the door. You know, I believe that all the letters for the church at any time, the seven church, they're all applicable at all times. And yet there are those that believe the timing of the letters. For instance, the last letter would be applied to the end time church, the one we're living in now. And that's got some merit to it, okay? You can make a case right now that this is a very prophetic picture of the last day's church where we are religious. We're not hot. We're not cold. We're just messing around, going around, doing our own business, doing the church thing every Sunday, maybe Wednesday night. The world says shut down. We shut down. The world says open up. Maybe we open up. We're not under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. I have no idea what's happening elsewhere in the world, but I do know what's happening to the church in America. I am keenly aware of the state of the church in America today. I am acutely aware about our carnality, our compromise, and our cowardice. If you just look at how easily the pandemic shut us down, look how easily we are still being ruled by the fear the Antichrist spirit promotes. Even in the midst of our fear of COVID, we're no different than the world. We're not standing up to that. We're not interceding for the church in America that we would lead our nation to repentance, that God would remove this terrible plague, which is upon our land. No, we're just acting just like the world. And I can see why Jesus could make the case that he has, back in the days of Laodicea, is parallel to the church we have in America today. He's standing outside trying to get in, knocking. He's making a final offer. Let me read the scripture again. Behold, I stand at the door and I'm knocking. I'm trying to get into my church. Will you please let me in? He goes, if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. And so he's saying right there, if any man, Christ is making the final offer to the saints here. If they hear me, the word there is acoustic. You know that, a cowl. Open, two requirements here. If any man will hear me knocking and open the door. I will come. The word is, and it means I will immediately enter. I'm ready. Why is that? Because I will sup with him and he with me. And I love the phrasing here and the way Rick Renner talks about it. He's talking about, I will sup with me. That what that means is, don't forget, he's, there's nothing redeemable about this church. He's rebuked them. He's chastised them. He told them they were wretched and miserable, naked, poor, and blind. And yet, look at the spirit here. Rick Renner describing it this way, dinner, a late afternoon or evening dinner. Such dinners were reserved only for the closest of companions and friends. The use of this word that he's saying, sup with me, the word there is dipneo, dipneo, D-E-I-P-N-E-O, dipneo, dipneo. The use of this word tells us that Christ will enter into a companionship type of relationship with them. He's approaching them as a friend, and he wants intimacy with anyone who will respond to his voice. I love it. I love it. That's the, that's the love of God. That's the love of Christ for his church. After everything that he's called him out on, everything that he's challenged them, they haven't done anything that he could congratulate them on. He's still saying, hey, man, I love you. We're friends. Come on, let's fix this. Let's get back into tight relationship. Let's get to know each other. He's looking for a time of leisurely fellowship. A key component here that needs to be pointed out: that other religions always put the onus on man for finding God. Uh, uh. Not so Christianity. Jesus takes the initiative. It's a concept that's foreign in Judaism and Islam and other religions. The eternal. Quest of Christ for Souls is pictured here behold i stand at the door and knock verse 21 to him that overcomes will i grant to sit with me in my throne even as i also overcame and sat down with my father in his throne will i grant to sit with me in my throne i love that with me not by me a place of special honor and again this is to those who made jesus spew them out of his own mouth can you imagine how big that throne is if we are all in it with Jesus and the Father, we're sitting in the throne, not on the throne, in the throne. Acts 7:49. heaven is thy throne and earth is thy footstool. What house will you build for me, saith the Lord? Look at that. If heaven is his throne and earth is his footstool, the footstool, that's where he rests his feet. The earth is where he rests his feet. That's a mighty big throne. There's room for all of us. Take him up on his offer. Come on, guys. Even as I also overcame, Jesus is saying to us that if I can do it, you can do it. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead resides on the inside of us all. What seems impossible to man is not impossible with God, but we need to do something. We need to take action just as Jesus had to do something also. John sixteen thirty three. These things I have spoken unto you that in me, you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. I love it how much the love of God comes across in those last couple of verses in the only church that he couldn't find anything to brag about. We see that here. What a perfect picture. I don't care how far we've fallen in America. I don't care how poor of a job the church has done. I don't care how much compromise we've had. I don't care how cowardly we have acted. I don't care. And neither did Jesus Christ. If we will just repent and let him into our hearts again, if we will just go ahead and acknowledge we failed him, if we will put aside our religion, if we will put aside the sin. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, let him call you. Let him win you back. Let him woo you. Let him wonder you with his presence. Let him win you back again. I'm Rangira, and End Time Insights. We'll see you next week.